Well, turn with me, if you would, to not to the book of Romans, where we've been going verse by verse through, but this week to the book, the gospel of John, John uh, chapter 16. We're going here today because I was feeling a vague disquiet this week about preaching from the book of Romans. And it wasn't just, you know, the fear of getting into trouble if I didn't say anything about Mother's Day. (laughs) I was thinking that this year we needed something a little more, you know, than just wearing a jacket in your honor. (laughs) (laughs) Two years ago, I delivered a message on the challenge of mothering. And I guess I was feeling that maybe it was a message for this year, too, you know, given how COVID has especially impacted mothers, both young and old. What with kids at home, month after month, and months of separation from adult children and grandchildren, um, uh, and uh, holiday seasons alone, and all the rest, all of which was especially hard on mothers more than us fathers can probably understand. Mothers, who really, if you think about it, are among the, re- <laughs> the real heroes of a year that's been unlike any other. Ever since I talked about what was especially hard for mothers two years ago, a number of you have asked me if I'd ever talk about that again. So I decided to go to my computer to call up the message and see if it really was for today but it was nowhere to be found. I looked and looked, I searched high and low, did a search of the whole computer for phrases that I just knew were in that message. And of course, I didn't have a hard copy, and finally I gave up. But then, at 1 a.m. yesterday morning, I couldn't sleep and I found myself praying, Lord, if you could help me find that message after all that looking, it would almost feel like a miracle and I would take that as a sign, you know, that it wasn't just a good idea, but your will, that that message really is for today. And then I felt this, like, and I know many of you have felt this too, this impression through my supplication, almost like a still small voice that said, check the trash check the trash so I went to the trash folder in my Apple computer and in the search bar for the folder I typed in Mother's Day 2019 which is what I titled the document and there it was and as it turns out the the, the spotlight search on the Apple uh, doesn't search the trash I didn't know that you've got to search that particular folder How it got there in the trash, I have no idea. But I do know that as near as I can tell, he (laughs) resurrected it from the trash. (laughs) Because there are likely some mothers who need a resurrection this year. A resurrection from what COVID has brought on, not to mention from the unique kinds of dying that motherhood can bring on. I believe he answered my prayers because once again, two years later, there are some things that we need to get out of the closet. In behalf of those who, truth be told, in a way that their dearest loved ones may never know. On behalf of those who know what can be, especially what can be excruciatingly hard for mothers. 
You know, one of the best descriptions of the difference a mother makes that I ever heard came from a little six-year-old. He was talking to his grandma on the phone, and he said this, Mommy's in the hospital, and Daddy and me and the twins are here all alone. <laughs> and of course, Daddy's listening and thinking, what am I, duck soup? <laughs> a woman can fill a house in a way that a man can't even begin to. Turning a house into a home, as we say. But it happens at a great cost. It's a sacrifice of who she is that's turned outward into the home that fills the home that makes that possible. A cost that we don't talk about much. It comes from emptying herself after really, as we'll see today, after the pattern of the cross. So we'll be taking a break from Romans to honor our mothers today. And as we'll see, to honor those who want to be mothers but who can't, whether because you're single or infertile. And to do this, I'll be doing something a little different. I'm going to go end with the main verse, the whole point of this message. I'm going to end with that rather than begin with it. We'll be looking at a number of passages, starting in John 16, scriptures which will be all summed up by a single verse in 1 Timothy, one that I hope you'll never forget, one that promises treasure for your uh, labor as a mother. But first, to tee up the scripture, I'd like to talk about a a few things before we go to John 16. Kind of like to spread some black velvet that will highlight the pearl of scripture starting in John 16. A treasure that's beyond compare because it's a labor, that's the black velvet, that's beyond compare. We could spend all day talking about the joys of motherhood. The treasures and the pleasures, there's no end to them. But it's also laced with red, with blood, sweat, and tears. This is from Parents Magazine. They asked some mothers to share some of the best parts of being a mom. One woman wrote, what I love about being a mom is having a chance to see things all shiny and new through my daughter's eyes. She just turned two, so everything is all about new words, new sounds, and repeating things that she hears over and over again, which isn't always one of the greatest things. (laughs) It's the best when you are in the I'm tired of being a mama mood. That's the scarlet thread here. (laughs) And your toddler bursts out with something that's totally awesome. Another mother said, bedtime is the best part of motherhood. Anyone that says anything different is lying. (laughs) (laughs) But also watching kids evolve into empathetic, kind human beings who can think for themselves. Like putting money in the bank bit by bit. You don't realize progress until far down the road, but it is so worth it. Here's another. Nothing else can produce the joy or broken heart that motherhood allows. I couldn't imagine going through life without feeling that spectrum of emotion. There are wonderful days when I feel my cup runneth over. There are days also that I want to run away and question every decision I ever made. Feeling it all, good and bad, gives my life purpose. Motherhood is walking around with all of your nerve endings raw and exposed. It is the most extreme measure of being alive, for better or worse. Interesting. They were supposed to share the joys of motherhood. But for each woman, clearly, mothering was like a a mixed blessing. 
like the last one. Nothing else can produce the joy or broken heart that motherhood allows. There are days when I want to run away. There's a spectrum of emotion. Or the mother before her who talked about the tired of being a mama mood. Or the mother before her, bedtime is the best part of motherhood. It's kind of like Ralph Waldo Emerson said. He said, there never was a child so lovely, but his mother was glad to get him asleep. I could spend all day talking about the joys of motherhood. But if that's all we did, we would leave out, really, the heroic side of it, of those who were some of the heroes of last year. The heroic side of it that makes motherhood, as the last woman said, the most extreme measure of being alive. And we'd be furthering what someone called the the myth of maternal bliss. Ever heard that one? As though it's all, you know, supposed to be like, I don't know, leave it to beaver and you're supposed to be June Cleaver all the time. Ever heard of the myth of eternal bliss? Don't you hate that myth? That if you're really a good mother, you should feel like you died and went to heaven. Yes, motherhood will fill your heart like nothing else. And it can, and it can do that. But like nothing else, it can also break your heart. And I don't need to tell you that. Empty you out. Today I'd like to begin by talking about the other side of this epic. We're going to first talk about the price. And then we'll look at the payback. I'm starting with the price because if you're like most mothers, you need to know that there's nothing wrong with you, that it's not all blissful, that it can be so hard, whether you're younger with still kids still at home or older with the kids still gone, which can be even harder. And just knowing that someone really understands for most women is a huge part of the solution, just to be heard. And the scripture is so clear that none other than God himself understands. God hears your heart. And he cares. And in many ways, his kind of understanding, as we'll see today, is the greatest gift that we could give our mothers this year. He sets the example for all of us husbands. We're going to see that motherhood can be like a sword that pierces to your very soul. And that if it is you're in good company with women like Mary, the mother of of Jesus. And that's a parable when Simeon said, that's what being a mother is going to be like for you. But we're going to see that through it all, there's a hero's reward. There's incomparable treasure for your labor. In fact, it's by far the greatest treasure that God has to offer. This week being Mother's Day, I, I found myself thinking about one of the last times that I saw my mom. She was in an assisted care facility in Colorado Springs, and I was saying goodbye after a visit with her. And I, I was feeling kind of bad because it was really hard to keep the conversation going. And she had Parkinson's with dementia, and she wasn't all that conversant, and I was having a hard time. And so I was wondering what difference I had made. You want to take away their pain and all the rest. But... Just as I was leaving, she looked in my eyes with such gratitude. It was like her cup was filled just by my being there, just by who I was. And she said, she looked at me and she said, you're the best husband I ever had. (laughs) And and then she laughed and said, "No, no, you're not my husband. Who are you? And I said, I'm your son, mom. 
And you're the best mom I ever had. I looked in her eyes and I couldn't understand the depth of appreciation that she would have for the likes of me, given all that I had done. Even though she couldn't remember who I was, she knew who I was deep in her heart and it filled her heart. But I was about to leave and she'd be alone again and I could see the tears welling up and the fear, the primal fear that was in her eyes, the fear of being left alone again. And I thought, a mother's cup can be so full at one moment and then so empty at the next. I remember her saying that even harder than being a widow with two young children, me and my sister at the age of 32, even harder than that was when I fell away from the faith. I remember seeing her tears across the auditorium after I delivered the speech on behalf of the senior class at my high school graduation, 1972, Singapore American School, where I devoted the entire message to how meaningless life was. I had no idea what that would do to her. Can you imagine sitting through that as a mother? I'll never forget the tears that I saw streaming down her cheeks as I, after I finished that message. And it wasn't because she was embarrassed. She was well known the world over as an author and speaker and, and had a powerful ministry all through Singapore. Everyone there knew her or of her. But I knew their, 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 those tears, they were not out of shame. They were out of love from a, the broken heart of a mother. When she said I was the best husband she'd ever had, I thought of all I'd put her through year after year. Some husband. But still, as I looked in her eyes, I saw a treasure there at the end of her life. A treasure that I'd like to talk about today. One that's coming to you. One that was birthed through her heroic labors. It was God's promise to mothers, as I've titled this message, Treasure for Your Labor. And to get there, we need to answer the question, which I guess you could also title this message, and that is this, motherhood, is it worth it? <laughs> probably most mothers at one time or another feel like my mother probably did. Like the, kind of like the bumper sticker I saw recently. It had, it had a Valentine's heart on it, and it said, I love my rotten, ungrateful children. <laughs> when they're that way, you can feel emptied. It's like a stillbirth after all that labor. Well, it's never a stillbirth, as we'll see today. Whatever happens to your children. So... That's the black velvet. Here's the pearl of great price. Actually, there are sev several of them. I find it interesting that this, what the scripture says about your labor as a mother, what the scripture compares it to, and it shows that while maybe your children don't understand or anyone else, God does. But too often it's a message that gets lost in the trash. And no matter how long you look, there's no one who really understands. But what's hard for you is never lost to him. We know that from passages like John 16. Starting in verse 20. Hear the words of the Son of Man, your husband in heaven. 
He was talking to the disciples about how he'd have to leave them soon. And he said in verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. Christ is talking, of course, to the disciples here. What they go through, he's telling them what it would be like when he was taken from them and crucified on the cross. When they'd be scattered like sheep and Peter, as we know, would weep bitterly as would Mary, his mother, as, a, as, as that sword pierced her own side deeper than any of his followers. And the only way that Christ could do justice to the intensity uh, of the pain that they were about to experience when he was crucified, the only thing that he could think of that would compare, that would do any sort of justice to it, was to compare it to the labor of a mother. And you see this reflected all through Scripture. You see, this teaching on motherhood all through scripture. Paul made the same comparison. The Corinthians had become, you know, rotten, ungrateful children. And he went on to say something to them that's true for all mothers with their children. He started by telling them that he had become like a mother to them in 1 Corinthians 7, 3. And he told them what this meant, that he had become like a mother to them. You are on our hearts to die together and to live together. To be a mother is to give your heart away and you die together with them or you live together with them. It's to give your heart away and to let it run around in another body to die or live in another person. That's why Paul said this to the Galatians who had also become rotten, ungrateful children. He planted that church. He gave birth to them, but they had fallen away just like the Corinthians had. And so he went on to say, just like my mother felt when I fell away, he said, my children with whom I am in labor until Christ is formed in you again. Galatians 4.19. He was telling him about this agony of his as strongly as he knew how, and that is by comparing it to a mother's labor. And in the same way, mothers too labor, and they labor long after they give birth, especially with children who are wayward or sick or in any way lost. Because mothers, the way they're wired, have, have a unique cross to bear through all those ups and downs. It's, Susanna Wesley knew about this, the mother of John and Charles Wesley. Someone asked her which of her 19 children she loved the most. And she put it as only a mother could who bears their griefs and sorrows like no other person can. She said this, I love the one who is sick until he is well. The one who mourns until he's comforted. The one who is far away until he has returned home. The one who is lost until he is found. Anne Lamont writes about this in a book on parenting that she called Plan B. 
Not a bad title for a book on parenting. <laughs> Plan B. She was talking about being a mother of a, of a teen. And she said this, I learned certain things really help me when it's not going well with Sam, who just turned 13. Certain things like distance, prayer, eating chocolate, Talking to the parents of kids on the other side of adolescence was helpful too. Why? Too often parents of kids the same age as yours won't admit how horrible they can be. She said that a book on adolescence that really helped her was one that you may have heard of. It's by Anthony Wolfe. It's titled, Get Out of My Life. Subtitled, But First, Could You Drive Me and Cheryl to the Mall? (laughs) Says it all. I drove Sam once to his friend Anthony's house where he was going to spend the night. I picked him up for church at 10.30 the next morning. He was furious about having to go to church and awful in the car. He was mute and victimized. Ever experienced that? It was one of those long 10-minute car rides. I thought about asking him to wash the breakfast dishes that morning. Um, And you'd have thought when I did that I ordered him to give the kitty a flea dip. I thought about how he answers the phone sounding like Henry Kissinger and you can hardly understand him and only pretending to take down the messages. And so when he got out of the car without saying goodbye, slammed the door and walked away after I drove him all the way to his friends to spend the night, after all that, I lost it. This is one thing they forget to mention in most child-rearing books, that at times you will just lose your mind, period. (laughs) Ever felt like that? It only goes to show, as Irma Bombeck titled one of her weekly columns, it only goes to show that mothers love kids till it hurts. You don't love me, said my son to me this week, Irma Bombeck. How many times have your kids laid that one on you? How many times have you resisted the urge to tell them how much you do? Someday when my children are old enough to understand the logic that motivates a mother, I'll tell them, I loved you enough to bug you about where you were going, with whom, and at what time you'd get home. I loved you enough to insist you buy a bike with your own money that we could afford and that you couldn't. I loved you enough to be silent and to let you discover that your hand-picked friend is a creep. I loved you enough to make you return my, a milky way with a bite out of it to the drugstore and confess, I stole this. I loved you enough to stand over you for two hours while you cleaned your bedroom, a job that would have taken me 15 minutes. I loved you enough to say, yes, you can go to Disney World on Mother's Day. I loved you enough to admit I was wrong and ask your forgiveness. I loved you enough to say no when you hated me for it. I loved you enough to let you assume responsibility for your own actions at 6, 10, and 16. I loved you enough to shove you off my lap, let go of your hand, be mute to your pleas and insensitive to your demands so that you had to stand alone. And then I loved you enough to let you go. And that was the hardest part of all. Eric Fromm, in his classic, The Sane Society, wrote that the mother-child relationship is paradoxical, and in a sense, it's at once tragic and heroic. Yeah, you're the heroes. It's at once tragic and heroic. It involves the most intense love on the mother's side. Yet this very love enables the child to grow away from the mother and to become fully severed and separate. For a father, you know, 
being severed and separate is the whole point of parenting. It's like good riddance, get a life. For a mother, it's like, it's like losing a limb. It's like losing a life. And what do I have to live for now? Which, of course, losing a life, as we've been seeing in Romans, is at the heart of true Christianity. Which moves us from the price to the payback. Like the moms I quoted at the beginning said, there are so many reasons why it's so worth it. But biblically, the bottom line is this, is that your labor is producing something. In Romans 8.22, Paul sums up the whole Christian life, at least a good part of it, with the same image that we've been seeing up till now, and that is labor. He starts out by saying that a mother's heroic labor in Romans 8, and we went through this about a year ago, reflects something that's like cosmic. It's the very picture of what the creation is going through now and what's producing the new creation with hurricanes and wildfires and earthquakes and all the rest. He says the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth closest thing that he could think of to compare it to together until now but your labor is also the very picture of something else because he goes on to say this and not only this Paul says and but we ourselves having the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves groan within ourselves same image groaning with the pains of childbirth waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. You see, your labor is the nearest image that Paul could find to the epic challenges of the Christian life and of the whole creation. In fact, the word that the scripture uses again and again for tribulation is flipsis uh, in the Greek, which means pressure, and in particular, it means the unrelenting pressure of a woman's labor. And Christ went on to use that image of the Christian life. He said, in the world you will have tribulation. Flipsis, John 16, 33. Paul said, through many tribulations, flipsi, we must enter the kingdom of heaven. Acts 14, 22. For the true believer, a good part of living is like laboring. It's a laboring that's the source, according to the scripture, and the secret of everything that's worth having, of all that's worth getting out of life. And you mothers, it's like you've got an, uh, kind of an unfair advantage in all this, looking at it from that perspective, when it comes to winning the prize that we are all supposed to be after. Because according to the Bible, your labor sets the, the gold standard. It sets the gold standard for what it means to wring out of life what's by far the most important thing. Your labor is the very picture of how we gain the treasure. As Paul says, this momentary light affliction flips this again. Momentary light infliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison by comparison to which all that we go through in life is momentary and light. Blink of a life. 
2 Corinthians 4.17. It's the whole point of being a Christian. It was for this that he called you. Paul said in 2 Thess 2.14, through our gospel that you may gain the glory through your suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ for all eternity. And Paul sums it all up in 1 Timothy 2.15, which we finally come to. All that we've been talking about today, both the price and the payback of motherhood, the verse that this whole message was leading up to. It's a standalone verse in the passage. It's like it just appears out of nowhere. It's, and it's perplexed many people over the years. It's where Paul says, women are saved through childbearing. Let's read that again. Women are saved through childbearing. What could that possibly mean? Well, Paul is using the word saved in the broadest possible sense of the word. It's sozo in the Greek, and the scripture uses it for the three stages of our salvation, as we've been seeing in the book of Romans. It teaches that we were saved from the penalty of sin when we believed. That's when we were justified. But it also teaches that we are being saved from the power of sin as we're sanctified. And it teaches that one day we will be saved from the very presence of sin when we'll be glorified. The same word, sozo, saved, is used of all three stages. And when Paul says that women are saved through childbearing, he's not talking about their justification when they became Christians. No, he, he means their sanctification and their glorification. He means that through the process of childbearing, they're being sanctified in a very dense way, in a very intense way, and that they will therefore one day be glorified in a very resplendent way with unimaginable resplendence. When he says that women are saved through childbearing, he's referring to the character that comes through mothering. If, reading on in verse 15, they continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control. The idea being, given what you go through, it's easy for a mom to fall out of faith and love and holiness and God knows self-control. You just lose it. It's easy to become angry and embittered and lovely, unloving and out of control. But if you continue, he says, in these things without falling permanently away from them, if it, even if it be three steps forward, two steps backward, as it is for all of us, you'll be purified, you'll be uh, beautified, and one day you'll be glorified. And Paul says that someday it will affect the whole creation. When the whole creation is going to be set free into the same maternal glory that you're now forging through the bride, the wife of the lamb out of New Jerusalem. You're forging that beauty. It's for the sake of that glory in both time and eternity that women are saved through childbearing. Paul has a broader view here than what happens at birth, even on earth. He's using childbearing as what we call a, a, a figure of speech. It's a metonymy where one part of a thing is made uh, to stand for the whole 
of a thing. And in this case, childbearing stands for child rearing. It stands for bearing children all through life as you continue on. As you press on in the faith and the love and the holiness and the self-control that are uniquely demanded of you as a mother. The qualities of true Christianity that are demanded of you like they are demanded of few others in a way, in a manner. That's why another translation says, and this nails it, women are saved through the pain of motherhood. And what if you never had that pain but dearly wanted it? What if your womb was barren? Well, that's another kind of pain that's unlike any other. Year after year, producing another kind of glory for all eternity. Could do a whole message on that. Julie and I knew it well. It took us six years and several surgeries before we finally, and many tears before we finally had children. It's a fire according to the scripture. For there are three things that says that are never satisfied, Proverbs 13, 15, four that will never say enough. Sheol, that's hell. The barren womb is like hell. Earth that is never satisfied with water and fire that never says enough. Whether you're single or infertile, it can be another kind of labor, a fire that's like none other that forges a treasure that will be beyond compare. I saw this as I left the memory care facility that day, as I looked into my mother's eyes, because there was a, there was a glory there. There was character forged in the fire, in the fire that her, that same son had brought her through years before. It's like the hymn says, take up your cross. This is what she was doing as she trudged back to her room and I left. Take up your cross and follow on. Nor think till death to lay it down. For only he who bears the cross may hope to wear the crown. I saw in her eyes all the years of tears that bore the prayers that brought me back. That proved she cared like only a mother can. That was like my guiding light through it all. I would not be standing here today were it not for the cross that she bore. Was it worth all that I put her through back then? Well, part of that depends on what you think of me by right now. <laughs> but we won't go there today. But ma many of you are looking at your children in the same way that my mom looked at me that day and you're saying what she was feeling. It was so worth it. And if you're not saying that with your grown children, well, I don't care where they are or what they've done. The story's not over. Thanks in good part to the cross you bear. Thanks to the, the, the fears and the tears that bear your prayers as you live and die with them. And whatever happens to them, however their story ends, not a single contraction of your labor is in vain. Because you'll take it all with you and you'll shine brighter forever. 
like C.S. Lewis, one day you will be as a woman, dazzling, radiant, immortal, pulsing all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. That's our hope. Even through COVID, especially through COVID. Let me close with this. Julie and I were sharing from our devotions uh, a while back, and she was reading a book called Growing Through Discipleship. One of the chapters focuses on how giving is central to growth. In that chapter is a quotation Julie read to me. We are talking about mothers, and she read it because it just about sums it all up. If the nature of God is to give, then we who share in God's life through Christ are also called to give. And what we are invited to give is not our surplus, but our very selves in the service of God. Giving is self-giving. And this kind of giving is always costly. For in ourselves, we embrace a small dying and a very real relinquishment. That's motherhood. This kind of giving spells grace for the other and transformation for ourselves. As such, we will gain what in other ways we would never have been able to gain. Which about sums it up. God's promise to mothers, treasure for your labor because you give of your very self like Christ our Savior. <laughs> you do that to the point that when you're gone, little six-year-olds say, Mama's in the hospital and Daddy and me and the twins are here all alone. Thank you. As the worship leaders come forward, you, you need the mind of Christ for this because it's so easy for this message to get lost in the trash. You need his mind, your heavenly husband, who understands like no other. Keep it there. And you need his love, like we all do, to fulfill your calling. So let's pray this together. May the mind of Christ my Savior be in me and his love. <laughs>